0: Before we moved to the Metroplex, uh, we were serving a church in East Texas, and for nine months, Ron Wells was our interim pastor, and we survived in... No, I'm kidding. Uh, A lot of appreciation uh, grew between the two of us as we worked together. It was was a great experience for me. Ron began in student work at A&M. Uh, at that time, they had a very large student work uh, at College Station, and he was there for, several, for a number of years. Moved on to Green Acres Baptist Church, and then later some other uh, churches as pastor. And in, in the last 20-plus years, he and his wife, Beth, have had, have had Centerpoint Ministries. They're based in Tyler, Texas. Uh, they have had a lot of great experiences But I think the thing that Ron always reminds me of is that um, his best work, their best work, is when they can sit down across from a couple and deal with the issues that are needed in order to be more and better in serving Christ and their families. So, Ron, you come. We look forward to hearing what you have to say to us. In your insert this morning, you notice there's a difference between Worship number one and worship number two. This is worship number one.
1: Number one. My wife reminded me that I was going to do two for one, and now I'm going to do the right thing. That's what she does in my life. She says, you messed up. You need to work on this. And uh, it is so good to be with the Claiborne's are just some of our very best friends, and we're so blessed. And last night getting to meet with the 25 or so guys was pretty exciting, and the steak was good. Billy, uh, I'll actually owe you for the rest of my life for the uh, for the ribeye. And uh, but it's just a joy to see you. Beth and I uh, live in Lindale, Texas, which is north of Tyler, and we do a ministry called Centerpoint, and we've done it for uh, twenty, nearly twenty-two years. Pastor a church that was a real growing church, and God just showed us one day that just being in church was awesome but that was not necessarily helping families uh, stay together. And so we found an office front that God gave us and we started ministering. And since that time, we've been in China four times, Uh, haven't been there lately. And uh, India twice, next weekend we'll be in Costa Rica. And all over the world, Satan is trying to figure out a way to come into our our families, whatever our families are. Um, We, uh, Live on a farm that's been in our family for close to 100, probably 150 years. And so when we moved there, we needed a tax exemption because, like here, people are building houses behind every tree to, to get out of the cities. And uh, uh, the cows kept getting out. My sister lives down the road and she said, Your stupid cows are out again. And uh, and so I would have to go get them in. If you live on a farm or live on a farm, you know how that goes. And finally, in my frustration, I just said, Beth, I don't know what in the world I'm going to do with those stupid cows. And she said, the problem, the cows are not the stupid ones. You don't have a good fence. (laughs) And when, when your fence is bad, everything on earth can get in, and all the good stuff gets out. And so when Bill called and getting to meet with pastor chad and the guys last night it just reminds me once again that the biggest challenge in our life is to say satan we know that you've got our family on target but we also know that when abba is the father of our family you're going to move and guide and lead in whatever way best mom is 97 and she's in a nursing home and uh very uh she's not cognizant right now and and we've kind of gotten to go through that pilgrimage, and, and uh, but every time we're there, we realize that it was her faith that led back to Christ, and it's Beth's faith that has had full influence in our children's life. And now we have three kids, four grandkids, and two great-grandkids, and it's just amazing how God can use very imperfect people like us and, uh, and do things. That we could never do in our own strength. I want you, if you brought your Bibles today, to turn to Joshua chapter twenty-four. Uh, Joshua, of course, is the young kid who went into the Promised Land. He and Caleb, and they they walked in, and and I kind of see this, and this is a big week in America's life with the elections going on, and um, and I just when I when I go back into Joshua's life, I think you know the Lord said, hey, that land over there is yours. All you need to do is go in and take it. And, uh, and so we, uh, when we read about it, uh, 10 of the people said, this is preposterous. There are giants in those lands and they're going to destroy everything and they're going to obliterate everything that's good. And um, so when they, uh, when they came back and gave that report, the people were angry at him because they had a vision and so when we look at this and we especially know the Joshua 24 passage where it says as for me and my house we're going to serve the Lord and in a culture like ours with everything that is cyber now and we can go online and I have a friend who pastors a cowboy church he said we get on Facebook, he calls it Flesh book. <laughs> He said we, we start seeing all this stuff going on. And we know what's going on because we just have all of this kind of information. The beautiful thing is that if you see what's going on through the eyes of Scripture, you think, God's in this. He is on the He's going to lead us on the verge of an awakening because we live in a pretty sick and dark world. And the beauty of it is that Joshua spoke into this culture after 40 years of wandering around on a trip they could have made in probably less than a week. God speaks into their life through this guy, who by this time is in his 80s. And we talked last night with the guys about Caleb. Caleb, when he was 85, and I'm getting close to that. When he was 85, and they said they were divvying up the property to the 12 tribes and Caleb says, I don't want the easy stuff. I want the high country. I'm not retired. I've not given up on my journey. I'm not sitting off on the side watching everybody else. Lord, I am still a soldier. And I want to say to you, more than ever, God's men and women... As we age, as we get older, we need to say, Lord, if I didn't have a purpose for being here, I could have easily been with you, but you've left me here. Harry Swinsburg was a missionary that we had at Green Acres, uh, he's from Australia, he grew up as a Roman Catholic. But when Harry and Dorothy gave their life to Christ, I mean, he was a radically committed Christian, and they lived in Medellin, Colombia. And Harry and I got to be good friends. And, uh, and so every time he'd go back with his little family, Medellin, of course, is where a lot of the drug trafficking is. And, uh, and, and we'd say, Brother Harry, why do you keep going back to that stupid place up in the mountains where all the cartels run the whole thing? Don't you get afraid at night for you and your family? And Harry would say, and I can't say it like he said it as an Australian, but he said, Ron, he said, God has promised me immortality until he's through with me. And we're sitting here, not today, we're sitting here today, not accidentally, but God has called us. And so I'm going to give you four little words that will kind of help us understand better the life of Joshua as he gets into the, the part of his life that he knows that it's not going to be long before all that's left is his legacy. And... Uh, so turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Joshua chapter 24. This is a very powerful it's in the Old Testament, um, the early part of the Old Testament. Um, this is 14. A lot of you may have this in your house somewhere on a little thing, but th- these are hard words, by the way. And today, when God, as I talked to the guys last night, I don't think God is wanting to make us comfortable today. I think he's saying, I want to stir you up. I want you to see that without the witness of the living Jesus Christ, there is no hope for our culture. And sometimes God's people get really lax. I do. And so Joshua is saying to them, now that we're getting finally ready into the promised land, this is chapter 24, verse 14. Now, fear the Lord. That doesn't mean... Fear that he's going to do something. It just means out of all the things in your life that you hold in deep respect, he's number one. Seek him first, and he will give you the things you need. Fear the Lord, serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods that your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. You say, we don't have gods like that. You know, in India, they have shrines on every corner to their gods. They have many gods. And I will say my greatest fear for America has never been communism. It's materialism. Communism is awful. But a lot of us really have gotten so soaked up in the things that we own and in the the investments that we've made, in the houses that we've built, in the cars that we drive, that we think, Lord... Truthfully, that's more important than you are. And Joshua is saying to these people. Evidently, it's an age-old issue that had to be dealt with. He says in verse fifteen, "But if 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 serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose today your, this uh, this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river." Are the gods of the Amorites in whose land that you're living. But, just like close to a dozen words. But, as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. You say he was a bold general. He was amazing. Military strategist. He's an amazing young man when he and Caleb went into the land and had a vision of what God had told them that was theirs but by the time he gets old he doesn't lose the vision and he just said let's get this straight and generations afterwards he never imagined would be sitting here thousands of years reading these words because when you make that glaring testimony in your life four things I think have to happen let me give them to you real quickly the first thing is you have to admit where you're really sitting at some place and I work a lot Beth and I work a lot with people who have addictions and 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 all kinds of addictions in our culture and the first part of healing from an addiction is an admission that you have the addiction (laughs) because it's easy for us to look down the street at somebody that's really living an unrighteous life and never goes to church and all those things, it's easy for us to say, boy, they've got problems, don't they? And the truth is, in James it says, when I look in the mirror of your word, I have to admit that I have problems. I have to admit that I'm not as hot for the Lord as I used to be. I have to admit that, and someone said you can check three books in a person's life and it tells you pretty much, who they are you need to check the good book is this really a part of your life or is it something that used to be or some guys I work with I work with a lot of guys and they say well my wife kind of does all the reading in our family and i say what's wrong with you why can't you start reading God's word and why can't you read God's word in your family together and stop and pray and turn off all the electrical stuff the electronics and just There has to be a point in our life of admission, and so Joshua says, I'm admitting that I'm not going to be serving the gods that we used to serve when we were living in the land, but I'm admitting that there's only one place at the table, and that is for the living Lord God, Jehovah, Jesus Christ. This is a huge part of our commitment. He admits, by the way, in the first part in chapter one, if you go back and if you have time to look at this, three times in the first chapter, he says, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And what he's saying is, Lord, I'm not strong and courageous. And when people start coming at me with all kinds of crazy ideologies and, you know, you're just narrow-minded and Christians are all haters and all the stuff that they tell us, and boy, we've had... You know, this, we deal with this all the time. There's a point to which you just have to say, Lord, I need strength and I need courage because I get tired sometimes and I get beat down. And so three times he says, I admit that I am not full of courage. I admit that I'm not full of strength. Lord, I admit that I need the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. Acts 1-8, when he sends these early Christians out, they were saying, so what are we going to do in the culture we live in? And in case you haven't noticed, the culture, especially the first century, was awful. The Roman government was—they uh, burnt Christians while well, they had their garden parties, and they put flammable materials on them and they set them on fire, and uh, and that was their culture. And sometimes we think, "Boy, our nation's going crazy," you know, and and he just has to admit. Lord, the greatest thing I need is your strength and your courage, because in myself, I don't have that strength to be the witness. I need to be in the neighborhood that I live in. The second thing we need to admit as we get into this is that we have to admit that probably there's some commitment. We admit, we commit. We finally say, Lord, there's a time, and I've gotten to where lately, uh, and I don't think that this is some kind of ritual that you have to go through. But lately, I've just gotten into the habit of before I start my day, and I kind of have a gimpy hip that's left over football, probably. <laughs> and I just get on my knees, sometimes by the bed or sometimes there by the sink, where Beth has a little cushion that I can <laughs> that doesn't hurt my knees so much. And I just get on my knees and I just say, Lord. My Lord in heaven, hallowed be your name. Are we committed? Are we really saying, Lord, not only am I struggling, but Lord, I have not been committed like I need to be, and I've gotten lukewarm, and things that used to be important to me are not important. I said there are three books. The first book is God's book. The second book is your checkbook. (laughs) You say, well, you're a Baptist preacher. I thought you'd bring that up. (laughs) That's not it. The truth is, we have nothing that he's not the origin of. The third book is your date book. Are you really setting up time in your life that you serve the Lord? We have a couple leaving this morning to go do construction. Uh, There's all kinds of things in our neighborhood that Beth and I have realized that God has called us. We'll be in Costa Rica next week, but he says in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria... And to the uttermost, are you saying, Lord, I'm going to get up in the morning and say yes? <laughs> you say, well, to what? To whatever God tells you to do, to say, Lord, I'm committed to that. And you can check it out in the way that I handle your book. You can check it out in the way I handle my finances and possessions. You can check it out, Lord, in the way that I handle my, my schedule. The third principle is this. Not only do you admit, commit At some place you submit, you just say, Lord, (laughs) it's yours. It's yours. There's nothing that I have. Satan is an intimidator, and he makes you think you get too old to do stuff, and I did all that stuff in the past. Who cares what the past was like? What is God calling you today to submit yourself to? I have a friend that was a missionary to China when things were really bad, when Mao was taking over, and it's pretty bad now. And he just said he picked up a couple that had come in from Shanghai, which was the center of Mao's revolution. And by the way, in Tiananmen Square, where all the killings happened, there's a massive picture, still is, last time I was there, a Mao, you know, like a three-story building, has big and, and and the Chinese come and they're supposed to worship him because he was the, the liberator of their country. But my friend said that he picked up this couple and said the uh, the old man and his daughter had got in train station. and He was going to take them over. And they were young. They were Christians. The young woman was a born again Christian, and the grandfather was, you know, was a Christian. And he said, how are things going in your province? And he said, well, he says, um, right before we left, something happened. They both started crying. And what, what was it? And they said, we can't meet in our church building. So we had to meet in various places around behind barns and trees and up on the side of the hills. And, and he said, we had to have a, a signed contact person. And that assigned contact person is the one in the marketplace in the bazaar that wherever we're going to meet on that particular night, they're the ones that others contact to find out where they're meeting. And he said, one of our very best friends, a lady, was a contact person. They found out who she was, and they did as they always did when the communist soldiers found her, or him, drag them into the middle of the marketplace and shoot them to death. My friend said through his tears, how do you get people to be contact?" they said sir what do you mean we stand in line to be contact people At some place god's people finally had to say lord we're admitting our needs we're committing ourselves best we can to you god we're going to submit ourselves to whatever it is you want to do with our lives for the rest of our lives and then the last thing and i'll close with this is that we transmit why is it so hard for us to share Christ with people? You say, well, I, I don't have any theological training and I don't have enough little tracks to go around. And uh, I'm just saying the best thing that happens is that from your dinner table and from the places that you walk when you walk in your neighborhood, there's a transmission of your commitment and your love for Jesus. And then as they begin to think, you know, you're kind of strange and a little bit different in the Old Testament, they called us peculiar people. Then we begin to say, let me tell you about my Savior. He's the one that makes me different. That's where the transmission of the gospel. That's why why Christians are so scary to all the governments of the world. Because born-again Christians who really... Admit, submit, transmit, commit. You can't stop them. They say the greatest seminary training in the world is going on in prisons. Because at some place you have to say, if I really had to, would I be as committed now (coughs) as I would be if something happened where the government changed and they started persecuting people like us well i know that's a little heavy for a sunday morning and uh, and the main the key part of this that i go back to is joshua says hey you do what you want to do everybody's already made their decisions and i love it that in baptist churches we have commitment times at the end of the service some of you need to admit that you're not a christian yet that you sit for a long time and you just never fully gave your life to Christ and it's time for you to follow the Lord in New Testament baptism uh, and uh, and that that's possible at the Southwestern Seminary where I went they had spring revivals and we had sometimes several dozen students admit that they had never fully given their life to Christ so in a group this size and Maybe some of you say, I've, I put this off, but it's time for me to give my life totally to Christ, submit myself, and to admit that. Others of you need to be a part of an exciting New Testament church, and Bill told me all about the church, and having visited with your pastor, and being with the guys last night, do you realize where you're sitting? You're sitting right in the middle of one of the greatest growth areas in our nation, and God is trying to save. You're not there by accident. I placed you there for a purpose. Others of you may need to say, as some of the guys said last night, the truth is, Tony Evans says, if it ain't happening at your dinner table, it's probably not going to happen in the church building. And some of you just need to admit that you're just not getting together and reading together and praying together and submitting together like you need to. And it's time that you need to say, Lord, we need to start letting you be the center of our house. We're at the house. So that when we come to the house of God, there's a kind of power that Joshua's talking about when he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I want to pray for a minute. Pastor, uh, when we do the invitation, uh, Brother Bill, when we do it, I just want you, if, you know, Baptist churches have altars, but they're kind of like these. It may just be that you need to come and say, Lord, I really need to have a beginning again time in my life. I've gotten a little bit dull. I've gotten a little bit (laughs) thinking I'm, I don't even know why I'm here anymore. Just say, Lord, I'm here because you got me here. And you got me here for a purpose. And I want you, whether you're a man or a woman, for you to say, Lord God, today I'm going to give you a commitment of my life that I'm not giving you in a long time. And this time, Satan will say, oh, there'll be another time. And I'm saying, no, this is the day. I want us to pray and then Pastor, if you'll come and we can sing. Lord, thank you so much for this Christian church, Father, for for the sense of your presence I feel here. And Father, it is no accident that you have allowed this church to be planted in the middle of such a great area where there's so many people that need Jesus. Father, give us the strength to not just uh, talk a good talk, Father, but to walk the walk that you have called us out to walk. Because God, like Brother Harry said, you do give us immortality and journey through with us. And Father, you obviously have to let us be alive for a day like this. So we ask you to just come and visit us by the power of your Holy Spirit in Christ's name.